sign up for um, the 24-7 prayer, uh, if you go on the uh, calendar, you'll see, because of the special recommendation of Ryan, that I have one of the 2 a.m. slots. So I've already taken one of them. Um, and so there's you know, six other slots. Feel free to take them. Uh, but um, we would love, love, love uh, to just practice the value of being deep people. Amazing. Well, I'm Sam, like uh, Justin and Ryan said. It is so fun to be here. Uh, we're continuing our series in John. If you haven't been with us, we've been in John for a long time, and we're going to continue to be in John for a while. Uh, we are in season two. There will be season three in the new year, so look for that. Uh, I'm uh, excited and anticipating how this whole book is going to wrap up. But we're, we're in a, a little mini-episode, mini-series within the series, which is the the kind of story around the resurrection of Lazarus. And why we're kind of spending a few weeks on this particular episode is because within the gospel narrative, this is a kind of a turning point. From now on, there's really actually only two weeks left in Jesus' life after this point. We've been going for quite a few years up until this point. And so it kind of gets more and more intense. There's kind of focus that's happening. And this is kind of the turning point because at this moment, if you really go into the story of the resurrection, what you'll find is that there's all of these foreshadowing moments of the cross, of the tomb, of the resurrection that John is trying to kind of weave in and hopefully we'll be able to discover a little bit here and there'll be more than what we'd be able to discover here uh, on the stage. And so I really do encourage you to be in the book of John. Uh, That would be a great kind of call, even the 24-7 prayer. When you're praying, why don't you just read John? You can read the Bible and pray, just let you know. You can do that. Cool. Um, We're going to start by reading the book. We're going to just jump right in. So uh, we're in John 11, 28 through 37. So if you've got a Bible, feel free to turn there. Last week, Rob kind of began the story with a uh, message called Death, which was very, very uplifting. Um, If you didn't listen, go back and listen. Uh, Now we're in a, uh, this particular sermon is called Tears, uh, and we're going to be focusing on the compassion of Jesus. Uh, And so if we have the verses on the screen, feel free to pull them up. That's great. I'm going to start at verse 28 uh, and then move on to verse 37. This is what verse 28 says in chapter 11 of the Gospel of John. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said. This is Martha. And he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping 
and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, the shortest verse in all of the Bible. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Jesus wept. Amen. I'm, I'm going to pray one more time as we kind of just enter in, uh, just to ask the Holy Spirit to come afresh. Jesus, spirit of revelation, spirit of compassion, spirit of tenderness and love. Come, fill your church with a greater revelation of who you are and who the Father is. We trust you to lead us and we trust you to be the example for our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. And so if I could tell you where we're going, the end of this whole conversation, where I would hope that we kind of conclude, is, is that you'd be able to have grown a faith, grown a perspective to be able to say, Jesus, come and see. Come and see my pain. Come and see my loss. Come and see my grief. Come and see all the things that I'm missing in my life. Come and see my weakness. Jesus, come. And trusting that this Jesus, this Jesus of compassion is not going to come with lessons to be taught or lies to hear. But he's going to come with tender, unconditional, compassionate love. That's where we're going. I don't know about you, but I actually have some places in my life that I keep away from Jesus. I don't know if that's true for you. I'm a pastor and I can say that. Like, I haven't fully got to a place where I fully trust Jesus with all of my full life. I want to, but I'm trying to. It's that I have faith, but, but Jesus, give me more faith kind of thing. And so if that conversation, if that reality resonates with you, let's just see what Jesus says. Let's see what Jesus does with a person who says, Jesus, come and see. Come and see the greatest grief that I've experienced in my life. Come and see. We're going we're gonna to spend our times in, in, in really three verses. Uh, the, kind of, the kind of crux, the core of, this, uh, of these verses in, in verse uh, 34, 35, and 36. And each one of these verses, you can throw them on the screen if you've got them. Um, verse each of these verses, 34, 35, and 36, there's little statements that we're going to kind of be living in and kind of looking at and kind of seeing Jesus within. 34, we have this statement of come and see. 35, we have Jesus wept. 36, we have he loved him. Come and see, Jesus wept, he loved him. These three statements are kind of the, the big picture of what we could understand of how Jesus is relating and who Jesus is in these moments. We're going to start with uh, verse 36 and then go backwards to 34. Cool? All right. 
So verse 36, why I want to start here is because there's actually a very important theological foundational truth that John is trying to convey in this statement. That um, Jesus, when he came to earth, when he came in the incarnation, when he came to put on flesh, the divine putting on flesh, what he was trying to do, what he did was, uh, was to represent who God is to humanity. The mission of Jesus is to glorify God and to reveal the kingdom. And so in this moment, when we say he loved him, what, what John is revealing is that we have a God of love. And that Jesus, in this moment, is through his relationship with Lazarus and the whole family of Mary and Martha, he is representing not the best of what humanity could be, but what actually divine love is. Sometimes we get this a little messed up, and, and sometimes it's helpful to see Jesus as an example for us to reach to. The, the fully human side of, of Jesus. For us to say, yes, Jesus, you took on the flesh. You walked the life that I could have lived. You embraced all of my weaknesses. But there's the other side of Jesus. The divine side. The fully God side. And in that side of Jesus, he is perfectly representing the Father to us. And so when it says, he loved him. It's just like it's saying God loved him. Because Jesus is trying to reveal who God is, the nature of God. And what we see through the whole conversation of John is that love is essential. Love is an essential part of John's theological framework of who God is. So when I, when I was in the text, maybe you know this uh, about the, the Greek language. There's a few different words for uh, for love. Anybody know any of the words for love? Agape. Agape. That's the good one, right? That's the one. If I'm preaching a message, I'm flipping through the, the, the dictionary and I'm like, may it be Lord. Cause if it's agape, I can swing this thing. I can land the hammer. It, Cause agape has this whole note between like, it's like this all inclusive love acceptance salvation, you can kind of wrap a lot of things in, especially if you're a preacher. You can kind of wrap it all up. Then there's a few other ones. And, and so I'm flipping through it in, in, my, in my study this, this week, and I was like, you know, be agape. He loved him. Be agape. Be agape. And it's another one. And I was like, dang it. <laughs> so it's phileo. And I was kind of disappointed. Because I had kind of built up this moment of agape and blah, whatever. But when I actually began to allow the text to speak to me instead of me talk to the text, what, what, I've, what I found was, is of course it's phileo. Because phileo is this friendship love. Phileo is this love between two best friends. And when I actually look at the narrative of John, friendship with Jesus is critical 
to who Jesus is. What we're going to see in, uh, in season three when we get there, I think it's in season three, maybe it will just be at the end of uh, season two of this John series. In the, uh, John 15, 15, there's this beautiful moment where Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. I now call you friends. So, of course, John is setting up this moment. He's setting up Jesus' final days with teasing towards the relationship between him and Lazarus to be the relationship that he can have with everybody. And so, of course, it's phileo. The, the interesting thing, I mean, I don't, I, don't know if you, um, I don't know if you have a best friend. I don't know if you have a best friend who lives close to you. I, I, I have a best friend. I'm, you know, 32, married 10 years, got two kids. And it feels a little strange to be like, I have a best friend. Feels a little childish. <laughs> Does it not? Feels a little like middle school where you're like ranking your friends. Like, anybody remember, was it MySpace who ranked our friend? That was a terrible idea, right? <laughs> terrible idea. What a terrible. You could like, if you got in a fight, you could like switch people around. Whoa. What a terrible idea. That was not in my notes. And I just remembered that. It's, oof. Gosh. Anyway, MySpace aside, um, my best friend is a guy called um, uh, Johnny Bell. I've known him since I was six years old. Uh, and so that means I've known him for more than 25 years of my life. Uh, most of our kind of friendship and life has been where we've not actually lived in towns in the same place. There's been seasons like college where we kind of chose to be around each other, but most of our time has been apart. And and when Taylor and I were uh, deciding what we were going to do on our uh, sabbatical season, what we were going to do kind of through that journey, we were like, gosh, if we could, it would be incredible if we could spend an extended period of time with Johnny and Mickey and their kids. There, you know, he was best friend, uh, best man in my wedding. I was best man in his wedding. We're the godparents to his kids. We could not be closer as friends. But the heartache is that he lives in California and is a pastor, and I live in Atlanta and I'm a pastor. And our lives, most likely, at the least the way that we're looking, is not going to intersect in the ways that we want to. But when I was in the beginnings of my sabbatical. I was beginning to just think about, I was just like, Lord, what are you going to do? You know, are you going to take me to a mountaintop? Are you going to take me to um, some great revelation? And one of the images that came to mind was a simple greeting between me and Johnny. And it actually brought me to tears, even the thought of being closest to hug my best friend. And so when we actually got together, I was, it was kind of like this funny moment where I was at his house and he was coming home from work and I was kind of like anticipating him like a, like a kid waiting for like a dad to come home. And I was like, Johnny's coming home, guys. Johnny's coming home. Johnny's coming home. And uh, we were in his backyards and we embraced and we just cried. We hadn't seen each other for over three years. Two kids had been born in that period of time. And there was something that just happened in us, that it was like, ah, what a breath. That's the kind of friendship that Jesus wants to have with you.
That's the kind of friendship that Jesus had with Lazarus. That's where his heart was wrenched and aching for his friend that had just tasted death. Do you have a concept? Do we have a picture? Do we have a reality of Jesus who can be that kind of friend for us? I don't. I, I, I want to grow in that understanding. I think more likely we have a, a picture of a distant deity than a close companion. And what we see in Jesus' kind of life in the narrative of John is not that. So let's grow. Let's, let's grow our understanding of who Jesus is. He loved him. What John is doing in that moment is to show us that we have a God who loves and wants to be our friend. Verse 35 he wept, or Jesus wept. Why is this in here? Why is this so pronounced, pronounced in, the, in the kind of narrative? Why is it the shortest verse in the Bible that's kind of placed? We didn't have verses when the text was created, but it was felt so important to single out. Why? Some scholars had thought that it was, um, it was to somehow reveal that Jesus was human, that he, was, he could cry, which I th- is fine if you want to, whatever. I, I think the, the fact that Jesus bled on the cross is probably better fact than he just cried, like he had blood coming, anyway, whatever. Um, and the fact that in the, in the early days of the church, it was, there was a wrestle with, with Jesus' humanity, but there was a greater wrestle with his divinity. John had been walking around. Let's just say it. John had been in houses where Jesus had gone to the bathroom. So, like, Jesus was human. The question was, was he divine? And so what John was doing in his narrative is, again... Revealing what the divine looks like in Jesus. And just like he's saying he is love, what kind of love is he? He's the kind of love that weeps. He's the kind of love that is tender enough to wait in pain, even knowing the conclusive end. What's so interesting about this is that Jesus could have blown by Mary and gone to the tomb. He knew what he was going to do. We've already, he's already kind of hinted towards his, um, to his, what his aim was with his disciples and then with Martha that he's going to rise again. So why would he just not be like, Mary, get it together. I'm here now. Chill out. Let's go. Roll away the tomb. Lazarus, come out. Take off your great clothes. But he didn't do that. Jesus refused to fix the problem that Mary had without fixing his eyes 
on Mary first. What you need to know about God is that he has a conclusive end, a good conclusive end, a a beneficial conclusive end for every pain, every weakness, every problem in your life. But what he is not going to do is to bypass you. That we have a God who wants to sit and fix his eyes on you before he fixes your problems. Because here's the thing. If he had just gone around Mary, the act that he would have done would have been felt like pity. It would have been like, get it together. I'm here now. You're fine. Martin Luther King, in um, Strength to Love, one of his sermons, he, he said, our missionary efforts, or could be understood as our, our Christian efforts, fail when they are based on pity rather than true compassion. Compassion led Jesus to see Mary and then wait. To be moved so deeply in his soul that he was troubled, even knowing that he was just about to raise Lazarus from the dead. Do we have a picture of that kind of compassionate Jesus? When, when I do weddings, there's people in this room that I've done the wedding for, and so often I, I talk about compassion in, in the kind of marriage moment. And what I say is, I say we don't need uh, any more dramatic pictures of love. What we really need is more dynamic postures of love. Dramatic pictures of love inspire us to something that may not be attainable. But dynamic postures of love invite us to imitate the way. So what we find here is that, that Jesus, living out a life of compassion in lots of different other places in the Gospels, what we see is him actually, it says he was moved by compassion much of his missionary journey, much of his life, much of his ministry is this journey where he's just being moved by compassion, moving towards the crown, moving towards the Syrophoenician woman, moving towards his disciples, thinking that they are a sheep without a shepherd. It was compassion that led him to wait, to not rush past, to see Mary. Do you know you have a God like that? Do you know you have a God who wants to be your friend? That wants to cry over the pain in your life? Fully knowing what he can and will do. But wanting you to be the focus of his attention. Not the problems that he can fix. That you are the focus of his attention. Because you're the kid. You're his friend.
It would have looked so much different if I was there. I would have just made it all about me. Wouldn't you? I mean, whatever. It, maybe it's just me. I won't put it on you. I would have made it all about me. But Jesus was so others-focused. He's so for you that everything, his movement, all of his love, all of his compassion, all of his friendship is moving towards you, not your problems. The flow of his grace is moving towards you. What's so interesting um, about this, this idea of compassion is that it's, um, it's co-suffering. If you know the, the, the word compassion, co-suffering, co-com, and passion, the passion of Christ, the suffering of Christ. And so what Jesus is doing in the incarnation, in his great ministry with you, even now, is choosing to co-suffer with you. When he put on the flesh of a human and then went to the cross, it is undeniable that he wants to bear your pain. The cross of Christ, the, the cross, the crucifixion is undeniable saying that he wants to bear your pain. But how do we get to that place? How do we get to the place where we can actually hand it off? We've got to get back to that first statement of come and see. Verse 34, Jesus says, where is he? Where have you laid him? Where have you laid my friend? Where have you laid your brother? And Mary, in an act of faith, in an act of trust, says, come and see. Come and see him. Come and see where my pain is. What my hope is, is for this morning, is that you will be reminded of or believe again or believe for the first time that you have a Jesus who utterly loves you. Who has compassion rushing towards you. And that all of your pain, he wants to be a companion with. That all of those places, he's not going to come in And rip away your dignity, rip away your value. But he wants to partner with you. And all we have to do is say, Jesus, come and see. Come and see my depression. Come and see my addiction. Come and see my hope that has been deferred. Deferred, deferred. Come and see my tragedy. Come and see my loss. Come and see my failure. 
Failure is the one for me. I love to hide my failure from Jesus. I love to. (laughs) What is it for you? Where in your life do you need to have a sweet conversation with your best friend Jesus? And say, come and see. What I know is, is that's the beginning of resurrection. We know the story. We've read the scriptures. We know the end, but we still don't practice the journey. Because the journey's hard. I get it. It's scary. Like I said, I, I'm on that journey too. Maybe it's a real loss in your life. Maybe there is, just like Rob said last week, with a, with a crowd this big and the definitive reality of death, there are people in this room that are dealing with death. I'm going to actually be doing a funeral in less than a month. I'll be standing at a gravesite of an amazing woman with a family who loved her. I get it, there's grief in your life. But Jesus wants to be entered in. He wants to be invited in. He wants, to, he wants the friendship to just say, come. Band, you can come back to the stage. There's this... Um, There's this old hymn that was written by a guy called Joseph Stricken. In 1855, he wrote, a, he wrote a psalm called, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. You ever heard of it? What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Maybe you know the song, but you don't know his story. Joseph, when he was... In his young 20s, he was engaged to a woman. The day before they were planned to be married, his fiance died. And through that tragedy, he, he went to Canada. He was living in Ireland at the time. He went to Canada to kind of be a part of a new Christian fellowship, just to kind of start anew. And over the season, he actually became engaged with another woman. And in the journey of their engagement, she fell sick. And she died as well. A man who had lost two fiancés in his life. Then given his life to Christian service, Christian love. He, he served communities. And in 1855, he wrote this poem to his mom in Ireland. As she was dealing with sickness of her own. I just love this psalm, even in, sorry, this hymn, in, in connection to what we're talking about. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it, and then we'll trust that Jesus is going to do something in your heart and respond. This is what it says, the first few verses of that hymn. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry 
everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we cannot carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there troubles everywhere? You should never be discouraged to take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. We're going to have a moment of worship. What I would love for you to do is, in whatever way it makes sense for you, is to have a conversation with Jesus. To say, come and see. I would love for um, you to utilize, there will be some prayer people on this back wall. If you're feeling the, the, the searing loss, if there is a loss in your life right now, I would love for you to have a companion in prayer. If there is sin that you are carrying for too long, that you've hidden away in the back areas of your life, come have a companion in prayer. They don't have anything to offer other than a friendship with Jesus themselves. That they just want to show you who Jesus is. That he's the tender, compassionate, best friend that we have. So come, respond as it makes sense. I love you, my friends.